Hey everybody, you're listening to the Engaging Leader Podcast. We've reached a new milestone. This is episode 69. I'm sure that's inspiring snickers from all the teenage boys who happen to be within listening distance. But I'm proud to say, episode 69. Today we're talking about nine telltale signs of Influence 3.0. Trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Today we're going to be talking about nine telltale signs of Influence 3.0. This is based on a blog post that I wrote some time ago and have just continued to get more and more people checking it out and tweeting it. And so I'm looking forward to sharing some of the nuggets from that. I know a lot of the people who are listening to the podcast don't necessarily have a chance to read online. I am that type. I tend to do a lot more listening than I do reading. But before we get into that content, I want to just put out a question to all of our listeners to see if you have any suggestions. Got an email from Bill and he said, I would love to listen to a podcast on inspiring different generations. I seem to find it easier to inspire my younger staff who are not as jaded by life experience. Now, I have to agree. I think that would be a fantastic topic. There's so many great resources out there to help us understand and best uh, engage with the different generations, the uh, what many call the traditionalists, the baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, and then Gen, Gen Z, which has not yet hit the workforce. We did provide an overview of those generations back in Engaging Leader episode 13, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 13 when we featured Jen Swanson, the communication diva. But how about specifically inspiring and engaging the different generations? Bill, Bill again says he finds it easier to inspire younger staff because the, old, the older staff tends to be more jaded. And I, I can definitely say I've seen that as well in certain things that I've helped leaders communicate. It's, it can be that older staff who's thinking, you know, I've heard this before. This is the... This is the third CEO that we've had, and it's just yet another program of the day or another uh, vision of the day. So how, how do you appeal to, to actually touch the hearts and minds of different generations and think through that? There's lots of great resources out there. I'm just wondering, you, our listeners, do you have, are, are you aware of any that we could use to help organize that conversation? If there's a, a book or some articles uh, that you're aware of or a certain speaker that you'd like us to interview or an author you'd like us to interview, let us know if you would. In our, in, you can let us know in the show notes in today's conversation or send me an email, jesse at engagingleader.com or connect with me on Twitter where I'm at Jesse Leahy or on LinkedIn or Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, thank you to Judy, Christopher, Jose, and Tommy for liking our page very recently here. So let's talk about the nine telltale signs of Influence 3.0. Before I list these signs and describe them for you, I think it's helpful to, to say, to, to 
show why these are different. And where I lean on for that is research from the Burnham Rosen Group, uh, where they were able to identify four stages of leadership that leaders tend to progress through. The first is what they call the dependent stage. And the symbol there, or metaphor, if you will, is, is, is thinking of a child. Uh, the dependent stage gets what's needed from others in authority. So the power comes from other people, and it impacts the self. So the phrase here is, I have to ask my boss. So if you interact with somebody that's at that stage of leadership, and you'd say, well, that's no leadership at all. It's true. It isn't. They're completely dependent. They're, they're going to say, I have to ask my boss about that. And we run into those people all the time. I'm, I'm sure you have. Level two is the independent stage. So, and the picture here is a teenager. They are, think of how a teenager is so focused on being competent and self-reliant. And their key phrase is, I'm my own boss. A teenager doesn't want to be bossed around. They're their own boss. In fact, you also see a lot of people in the business world. In fact, this was me for many years. I really desperately wanted to be my own boss. And so I think I, for a long time, was at that independent stage. And when you, when I did become my own boss, that's a, a step up in a way. There's a great amount of freedom and autonomy and just fulfillment that that brings. But that is very short-lived because people who desire to be influencers or leaders or engagers, you have this in this motive that's driving you to make a difference in the lives of others, to have an impact on others. And so once you finally achieve that independence, that autonomy, you're ready to make a bigger difference. And so you move on to what's known as the imperial stage, stage three. The picture there is, okay, you're no longer a teenager. You're now a benevolent dictator. So you call the shots, but you're doing it out of with, with a good heart. You're not trying to to uh, just boss people around like an evil dictator. You uh, are focused on ha- having an impact, making things happen through other people, and you want to influence people for good. And this is where I think most of today's literature on leadership is still talking about. It's about influencing others for good. And the language there is, I influence you. That's kind of the phrase, I influence you, or you, I think what's pretty darn common in organizational communication today or leadership communication is, let's empower people. I wanna, we want to empower our people. So the power comes from you, the benevolent dictator, and you're impacting others. You're giving them some power. The fourth and highest level is what's known as interactive in the in the Burnham Rosen frame set. And it's harder to come up with a specific metaphor, but I like to think of it as a team captain, kind of a player captain. Not to em- overemphasize that a player captain, you're doing work as well as guiding others, but to emphasize the fact that we're in this together. Because I think if you focus on a coach or... Uh, 
there's a little too much of the command and control going on. But the interactive level of leadership is about being focused on outcomes that make a difference, not only making a difference in other people and through other people, but it's for and with them. You're not empowering people. You're plugging into the power that they already have. The power comes from the others, and that power affects other people. So the key phrase is, we influence each other. Now, once upon a time, that level three, the imperial benevolent dictator, that was the most successful form of leadership. The majority of of successful leaders at Fortune 500 companies were high in imperial leadership. They used a a top-down command and control approach, um, and it, it consistently produced superior business results and employee morale. Those leaders were charismatic and visionary and excellent at making decisions. But as we've talked about in recent episodes, that Influence 1.0 and then Influence 2.0, that eventually started to become produce mediocre results. By the midnight, starting in the mid 90s, the world changed. The workforce became more diverse with more women and more ethnicities represented all over the world. But you, you just look at the US, you can clearly see the change that began and the new technologies that made information accessible to everybody. And globalization meant greater comp- competition, both for. Uh, customers, but as well as for talent. Their, their opportunities are much greater. So you don't have to work at a company because you need to be there. You work there because you want to be there. So it was starting in the mid-90s that researchers began noticing that the leaders who were producing the best of business results were no longer those charismatic, visionary, decisive types. Instead, they had these nine other signs that we're going to talk about right now. Number one is being empathetic, authentic, and self-disclosing. That is so different than, for example, the leaders that my dad would have reported to early in his career. Talking about a leader that actually cares about your feelings, that is imagining what your emotions might be like, is in touch with his or her own emotions, can actually talk about those a little bit and and disclose those. When you don't even have to intellectually realize that your leader is this type, when your leader is that way, you will unconsciously be more more open to being influenced by that leader. The mirror, mirror neurons in your own brain will pick up on this empathy, this authenticity, this self-disclosure, and you are going to respond in kind. Also, be, by sharing the feelings, by expressing the leader expressing feelings, you uh, are can't help but realize that not everything is black and white. And if the leader is open to seeing the gray in areas, is 
more open to the complexity that's going on, that is going to make you more likely to make better decisions and be more confident of your decision-making ability because your leader is essentially trusting you and leading by example of working through all the potential issues. And that really only happens when you can see both sides of an issue. And that only happens when you um, can be expressive of your feelings and, and uh, be more willing to recognize ambivalence. We talked about this back in episode 62, but that ambivalence actually inspires your team to be better forecasters because they're more likely to see both sides of issues and that they pick that up from uh, by the modeling that you provide. So number one is empathetic, authentic self-disclosing. That leads naturally into number two. The second telltale sign is that a, a, an engager or influence 3.0 is agile and flexible. See that that ability to forecast better, that uh, self-disclosing and empathetic attitude that you have allows y- you and your team to think more flexibly to make better decisions and forecast better, but also to not get so hung up on what the specific decision is, but rather to honor and appreciate the process of decision-making and planning as a team. And so basically in today's world, since circumstances change more quickly than ever before, what may have been a pretty darn good decision is no longer the one to keep when circumstances change. And so if your team is comfortable with that, then it's an agile and flexible team. And I call it flexible thinking. But that totally comes from your the the leader's example of being willing to recognize and verbally express ambivalence about issues so that the team can look at things from all sides instead of just viewing it as black and white and also not looking to blame anyone when a mistake is made when an error is made or when the wrong the decision turns out to be wrong when you acknowledge that sometimes a wrong decision or an error doesn't ultimately affect the end outcome when your team sees that you are have some tolerance for mistakes. I mean, ultimately you have to draw the line somewhere, but that encourages them to be agile and flexible. And that is one of the telltale signs that you are an engager if you are agile and flexible. Number three is collaborative. Collaborative, which includes co-creating a shared purpose with a team rather than casting a vision for the team. I once had someone encourage me when with a team that I was leading to stand in front of them and cast a vision for them. And once upon a time, that was an effective way to lead. But today in the 21st century, in this new connected economy that we have, the great leader, or to go beyond the word leader, the engager is collaborative. And you work, you don't just set a mission and vision for your team. 
you work together with your team to define what is our, what would be an epic win for us. What are we really called here to do? What uh, what are we true? What's the ultimate purpose that we can best serve? Let's figure that out together. Maybe even continually let that evolve as we get to know ourselves, our customers, our products better as we put our creativity and passions into practice. So number three is collaborative. Number four, sees and tolerates ambiguity and paradox. I actually mentioned that, I I guess I referenced this earlier. I, I jumped ahead a bit. When I was talking about being empathetic and authentic and self-disclosing that, um, but seeing and tolerating ambiguity and paradox just means you don't view everything as black and white. You acknowledge that there is gray area, there's two sides, or maybe even more than two sides. And there's even paradox. There's things that are with, they don't both seem true, but in a way they both are true. That kind of leader, as I said, that encourages that flexible thinking. It encourages people to actually be accountable because they are, they're less concerned that you're going to blame them for every little thing. They're more, but they want to be committed to the outcome. And so that leads to number five, encourages group accountability. I, I was talking to George Bratt, the author of the new book or upcoming book, First Time Leader, and he was very making a, a big point that there's three levels of engagement. He said the first is compliance, that if you tell a person to do something, they will do it. The second level is contribute. The person wants to make a contribution. So they do things on their own. They don't need to be told. They understand the outcome that you're looking for, and they take steps on their own to make that happen. But the ultimate level is commitment. They're not just, they don't just want to make a contribution. They are committed to your purpose. And if you encourage group accountability, so you say, look, we need to make some decisions together as a team, and then we need to own those decisions, and we need to be accountable for making those happen. And if there's a failure, it affects us all. At, at some level, there is individual accountability to, to make things happen, but ultimately, it's the group that's going to pay, and so we need to have each other's back, we need to keep each other accountable, and we need to do whatever it takes to make this, to achieve this purpose that we all agreed was important. And if that truly is a a shared purpose, then your team is going to be committed about that and the group accountability really will happen. Number seven, shares decision-making with others. Again, I just alluded to that. If you're going to have group accountability, they have to feel like they had a say in what the decisions were. In fact, it's not just having a say in what the decisions are. It's that they actually made the decisions themselves. And sometimes that's them making the decision. Sometimes it's coming to finding a group consensus, although that that's not always appropriate either. This is difficult as a leader because of what we would call reverse delegation, maybe. Um, you can delegate tasks to a group to, to somebody on your uh, team but it's really where the, the real power comes in is delegating entire accountability delegating the entire authority that is appropriate for their role 
But often where you where that delegation fails is when they come back to you for decisions. And if you can refuse to make those decisions, unless it's truly one that is appropriate for you, but more often than not, we think we, we just make the decisions because, hey, we're leaders. That's what leaders do. We're very good at that. We can do them quickly. But if you refuse that and instead return that authority back to the person or the group and insist that they make the decisions, uh, that is going to nip that reverse delegation in the bud. And beyond just that, which of course is going to make your life easier, but you're, you're truly going to be tapping into the power that they have, the power of the team, and they're more likely to be... A, a, view themselves as accountable if they are truly making decisions. Number six, stimulates questioning and dialogue. A leader says, tells people things and a leader makes decisions and engager questions and dialogue and encourages dialogue. And you think about Socrates Socrates was a very effective teacher, but he did it not by telling people things, but by asking the right questions. So as an engager, you can practice Influence 3.0 if you stop directing people and telling people, but instead find the right questions to ask them. Number eight, takes great pride in work outcomes rather than in gaining and keeping power. We just had Jeremy Kubitschek talking about the danger of self-preservation, that as a leader, if we uh, catch ourselves caring about too much about ourselves and making decisions to preserve ourselves, to either gain power or keep power that we have, to justify why we are in this role, that is this short-term focus on preservation or on achievement, and that is not at all what Influence 3.0 is about. 3.0 is about what are we accomplishing through our work together? What is the ultimate higher level meaning behind that? And man, am I proud about that. As one of the guys uh, on, on our team said, one of the things I just really love to do together is, is, is doing cool work. Just I love creating things, actual physical visual things that we can look at and be proud of how it looks and that it was just, uh, in addition to being effective, it's something that's cool. That at, at some point, there's that artist in us that likes to see that. So what are the outcomes that you're after? Do you do you take pride in those? Or are you, if you're honest with yourself, are you more concerned about gaining or keeping power? And number nine, regarding long-term planning as a critical activity. We just talked about this in a, in a recent episode about how Dwight Eisenhower said that I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. So things are going to change. And so the plans that you're making won't necessarily be the specific plans that get implemented exactly. But the practice that you're doing of planning, planning work, especially long-term planning, it's one thing to plan your day that is has its importance. And I'm not saying necessarily let's plan 20 years out 
um, maybe not even 10 years out because that's looking so far deep. But there is a good, it is a good exercise to get with your team and imagine what is the world going to be like in 10 years? What's our market going to be like? What are our competitors going to be like? What are our people going to be like 10 years from now? And how can we start to point ourselves in the right direction? And as you come back to five years out and three years out and one year out, it's even, it can even be more powerful. But to keep, why, one reason why that's important is, is it's keeping you focused on, one, the long-term purpose that you are serving together, as opposed to the short-term stuff that we do that can get uh, actually off track where the, the, the activities become the mountains that become the molehills and can actually make us lose sight of the long-term purpose. Just a quick example, even with Engaging Leader, the, the long-term purpose of most of what we're doing is that we want to have an impact in people's lives to help the people in the companies that we're serving to be more engaged in their work, to be have a, a, a greater level of wellness in both terms of their career happiness as well as their financial and physical well-being, that when they leave work, they are energized because they have been spending their time and effort in something that's meaningful to them and they can go home and be be better moms and dads for their kids as opposed to being wiped out when they come home from work and we do that by by equipping and inspiring and energizing the their leaders that if we can help you be better leaders for them that is going to hopefully help you feel more fulfilled and energized in your work and help you in every area of life, but also it's going to help those people. Now, along the way, what are we doing? We're doing things like weekly podcasts and 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 uh, blog posts and videos and sometimes, and, and social media and so forth. And sometimes we can get focused on those tasks and that can actually get in the way of that ultimate purpose. So we have to still step back and say, are these steps that we're taking, is that just work that once upon a time it was, we thought it was important, but now it's just work that may or may not be the most highly valued thing? No, we take a minute and we do long-term planning and we keep focused on that. What purpose are we serving? That's one reason. The other reason is because it, we want to feel pride and we want our people to feel pride in that long-term purpose. So it's both planning the work so that the purpose is achieved, but it's also about inspiring that pride and reminding people of the reason to to be proud. And that is why planning is such a critical activity for the engager. So those are the nine telltale signs. Think about yourself. Think about the leaders in your life. Do they have all nine of these telltale signs? If so, you're practicing and they're practicing Influence 3.0. If there's some areas where you don't have those, then you're probably still back in Influence 1.0 or 2.0. And so take stock and think about how you can start to mature. It usually 
has to do with moving from that level one dependent. Um, well, most of us listening to this podcast probably are not there. Most of us are would be at that stage two independent, like a teenager, or stage three uh, imperial, like a benevolent dictator. And it's if if you can move from on any of those sticking points, if you can move up to that fourth level, interactive, more like a sports team captain where we influence each other, you're going to see your influence have a lot greater effect. So those nine are, again, number one, empathetic, authentic, self-disclosing. Number two, agile and flexible. Number three, collaborative, including creating a shared purpose with the team. Number four, sees and tolerates ambiguity and paradox. Five, encourages group accountability. Six, shares decision-making with others. Seven, stimulates questioning and dialogue. Eight, takes great pride in work outcomes rather than in gaining and keeping power. And number nine, regards long-term planning as a critical activity. All right, Engager, that wraps up this episode. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please let us know in the show notes. As well as don't forget to let us know if you have any thoughts about that question from Bill about how we can talk about inspiring the different generations. Let us know in the show notes, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 69 as in episode 69 or send us a tweet, email, whatever at at Jesse Leahy. I'm sorry, Jesse at engagingleader.com or Twitter at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.